0: Hello, and thanks so much for joining us today. My name is Greg Freeman, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at New Vision. And so today we're going to be reading Judges chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, and I'm reading from the ESV, the translation, verse 20, uh, sorry, uh, chapter 20. Then all the people of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead, and the congregation assembled as one man to the Lord at Mitzvah. And the chiefs of all the people of all the tribes of Israel presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 men on foot that drew the sword. Now the people of Benjamin heard that the people of Israel had gone up to Mitzvah. And the people of Israel said, tell us, how did this evil happen? And the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, I came to Gibeah that belongs to Benjamin. I am my concubine to spend the night. And the leaders of Gibeah rose against me and surrounded the house against me by night. They meant to kill me and they violated my concubine and she is dead. So I took hold of my concubine and cut her in pieces and sent her throughout all the country of the inheritance of Israel, for they have committed abomination and outrage in Israel. Behold, you people of Israel, all of you give your advice and counsel here. Verse 8, And all the people arose as one man, saying, None of us will go to his tent, and none of us will return to his house. But now this is what we will do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lot, and we will take ten men of a hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, and a hundred of a thousand, and a thousand of ten thousand, to bring provisions for the people, that when they come, they may repay Gibeah of Benjamin for all the outrage that they have committed in Israel. So all the men of Israel gathered against the city, united as one man. Verse 12, and the tribes of Israel sent men through all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What evil is this that has taken place among you? Now therefore give up the men, the worthless fellows in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and purge evil from Israel. But the Benjaminites would not listen to the voice of their brothers, the people of Israel. Then the people of Benjamin came together out of the cities to Gibeah to go out to battle against the people of Israel. And the people of Benjamin mustered out of their cities on that day 26,000 men who drew the sword, besides the inhabitants of Gibeah, who mustered 700 chosen men. Among all these were 700 chosen men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hare and not miss. And the men of Israel, apart from Benjamin, mustered 400,000 men who drew the sword. All these men were men of war. Now, the, the narrative of chapter 20, it goes, Uh, right from chapter 19, and that ended with the Levite who allowed his concubine to be raped by those evil guys in Gibeah. And then he cut her into 12 pieces uh, to send throughout uh, Israel. And it's truly disturbing as the story is. You know, one of the things I love about the Bible is it just does not shrink away from talking about the depravity of man. And that's a a very depraved uh, story, no matter how you cut it. But as we go back to the narrative, those Israelites, they were horrified. Of, of what they got, the pieces. and 400,000 of them came together in one place in Mitzpah. This is the first time the tribes of Israel had reunited in quite a while. Uh, in verse 1 in chapter 20, it says, The congregation assembled as one man to the Lord. The tribes have been doing their separate things. And so they wanted to know how this evil thing happened. This evil thing is what brought them together. And the Levite retold the story. Now, a couple of things that stand out to me as he's retelling his story. He didn't mention that it was his idea to stay in Gibeah, did he? Neither did he mention that he sent his concubine out to take his place to be assaulted. He's the one who sent her out. He didn't mention that while she was being raped throughout the night, he slept. He didn't mention uh, that he basically allowed her to be killed as he was trying to save himself. So his graphic approach, he cut the concubine into pieces and it got the response he wanted. It got uh, Israel together. uh, His outrage got the rest of them outraged as well and got them back on the same page. But he didn't share his part in that. But collectively, the nation of Israel agreed they would just go get justice in the city of Gibeah of the tribe of Benjamin. So now remember, Benjamin is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So this is more of a family dispute than the nation of Israel uh, ridding the land of the Canaanites, as we see earlier in the book of Judges and even back into Joshua. In verse 12, men were sent by Israel into the tribe of Benjamin to ask what happened. They demanded they turn over the rapists so they could be killed and evil purged from Israel, but they wouldn't do it. Verse 13, the narrator writes, But the Benjaminites would not listen to the voice of their brothers, the people of Israel. As a result, the soldiers of Benjamin geared up, 26,000 of them, and then 700 left-handed slingshot marksmen. They lined up facing 400,000 Israelite soldiers in anticipation of what would be a very bloody civil war. So uh, there are a couple of things I think we see in this really sad narrative. First, we see the continued disobedience of the nation of Israel. This isn't new. It goes all the way back to Moses. But in this absence of spiritual leadership, the Israelites fell back on their evil tendencies. In fact, some of the narratives resemble past times of failure when people were unable or unwilling to obey the Lord. This generation, too, they was repeating the sins of their fathers. Now, throughout this last Part of the book of Judges, there's a common recurring phrase, in those days, Israel had no king, everyone did as he saw fit. The book of Judges actually ends with that line, give you a little foreshadowing, but it ends with that line, a sad commentary on the state of the Israelites. They lacked spiritual discipline. It showed in their behavior, right? I mean, we see that all the time. When you lack spiritual discipline, it shows up. What brought them together in this narrative was a collective outrage over a horrendous crime, But even then, it was still the nation of Israel fighting itself and fighting amongst itself. One commentator writes, almost every Israelite that dies a violent death in the book of Judges does so with the hands of their fellow Israelites. It's a book about God's people killing God's people. Now, personally, I can be the same way. If I let my spiritual guard down, it shows in how I treat people. It shows in how I respond to situations and to people. It shows how I think about things, what my perspective is. But what's encouraging for me is that as believers, we'll always have a king. We'll never be like the Israelites uh, where they didn't have a king. We'll always have a king. We got King Jesus. And so we'll never be left to doing what we see fit we may choose to. But we'll always have the truth of Scripture as well as the power of the Holy Spirit to be reminded that what we see fit isn't what is right. We need to be doing what Jesus sees fit. So we've got that going for us. The other thing that stands out to me uh, in this narrative is the behavior of the Benjaminites. Now, the rape of the woman by those men of Gibeah is clearly just pure evil. There's no justification for it. And in the day, the penalty for rape was death. So as the Israelites tried to punish the criminals, and that's what they were, they were in the right of it. It wasn't just vengeance. It was fulfillment of of the law. But the Benjaminites refused we talked about this before, but the H-E-S-B translation reads in verse 13, the Benjaminites would not listen to their fellow Israelites. ESV uses the term their brothers. This isn't one group of people just trying to enforce its demands on an enemy or even just a different culture. This is one brother asking another brother to do what's right. But the Benjaminites refused. They chose to support and defend the rapists of Gibeah over the right of the nation of Israel. They chose their relationship with that one town, over their relationship with the people of God. Tim Keller writes this, Why does the tribe not just turn over the guilty men to face justice? One idol that is most destructive to human unity is the idol of our blood or kindred, the attitude of my family, right or wrong. Though common decency tells us that the men of Gibeah had violated all moral standards, the Benjaminites closed ranks and refused to allow any outsiders to find fault with any insiders. When we put our blood or racial ties or community above the common good and the transcendent moral order, we make a God of our own people. I'm going to read that last part again. When we put our blood or racial ties or community above the common good and the transcendent moral order, we make a God of our own people. The Benjaminites not only put their relationship above the common good and transcendent moral order, they put it above God right? I mean, they they protected these rapists more than they valued uh, the Word of God. And as we're going to see in the verses ahead, and make sure you tune in uh, tomorrow for the for the battle ahead, but as we see in the verses to come, that has tragic consequences for them. Commentator Warren Wearsby notes, when sin isn't exposed, confessed, and punished, it pollutes society and defiles the land. And the Benjaminites did not expose, confess, or punish sin, and it polluted their society, and it defiled their land, and they paid a huge price for it. So that's the narrative, but saying this in the Benjaminites, doesn't that kind of make us look inwards to ourselves? I mean, I have to. I have to consider how I respond to sin in my life or the lives of people that I have some relationship with. Do I value the relationship more than the negative effect of that sin? What do I love more, the relationship or the person? Am I more worried about offending someone who is acting acting contrary uh, to God's plan for them than helping them see and repent of their sin. Is it easier to have an awkward to avoid an awkward conversation and overlook sin? I mean, yes, these are real things. Here's a challenging question, at least for me, personally, am I like the Benjaminites that if I'm confronted by a brother regarding my own sin, do I go defensive? Do I push him away? Do I basically go into a relational war the way the Benjaminites did with a literal war? So we have to ask these questions of ourselves. We can apply the lessons of this really painful narrative to our own lives and even to our church and see the implications of not dealing with sin. Weersby says when God's people refuse to obey God's word, the results are always tragic. The spiritual life of a church is crippled and eventually destroyed when the congregation shuts its eyes to sin. So not just the spiritual life of a church but people's lives are negatively impacted by sin. So how do we do that? Do we, do we let it be covered up? Do we hide it? What are those things that we do to deal with sin? The Bible says we're all sinners. If we're a believer, we're saved by grace, but we're all sinners. So we're all going to deal with this. So how do you navigate it? We all have blind spots. So who is that believer in your life who you not only allow, but earnestly ask to point out sin areas so that you can deal with them? That new vision, one of our measures, is framed by the question, who are your refrigerator friends? And when we say that, we're talking about those people you're so close to that your refrigerator is always open, but more than that, that your life is always open to them. So often, other believers are the best way to identify those blind spots in our life. They're blind spots. We don't see them, but somebody else can. They can encourage us as we deal with our own sin in Christ-honoring ways. There's a right way to deal with that. Now, if that person isn't in your life right now, I encourage you to pray about who the Lord may bring to you to help. And if, if you're not doing that for somebody else, who might you help? Who might somebody who would invite you into their life to help be that, that watch guard? I think this is a huge lesson for us from what's really an awkward passage here in the book of Judges. It's just a hard uh, couple of chapters. But it's also another example of how the Bible is alive and relevant, and especially when it's challenging. So I encourage you to think about who that person is in your life, who you have allowed and encouraged to speak truth to you. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to tune in tomorrow as we hear the results of this battle. Uh, God bless you. Thank you for joining us today for the New Vision podcast. We hope that you have heard a word from the Lord and that you can better walk today in light of God's word. To find out more information about New Vision, we would love for you to follow us on Instagram at New Vision Life or look us up online at newvisionlife.com. And as always, we look forward to seeing you tomorrow.